everybody. Welcome to the Homeworkies podcast. And we are really excited to talk to another author today. We're talking with the author of The Sweet Life, uh, Suzanne Woods Fisher. And Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. This is fun. This is my first actual interview live. Oh, yes. Sweet life. So that's exciting. That's great. Uh, yeah. Well, since this is your first time coming on our podcast, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Well, my name's Suzanne. I live out in the San Francisco Bay Area. I have four kids and a happy husband and a lot of grandchildren starts to explode at my stage of life <laughs> and a couple of big dogs. And I write in a laundry room not far from where I am now. I've done that for ever. I started as a freelance writer and wrote for magazines for years and years. And as my kids went off to college, I kind of transitioned at that point to writing books and started writing about the old order Amish. My grandfather was raised plain. So I had a connection to the plain people and I've loved writing about them. And I have in the last probably, uh, I've been writing books probably about uh, 12 years now. And I've kind of branched out in the last five years to also include other genres, historical fiction um, and contemporary fiction like The Sweet Life. So it's fun. I like having a lot of different interests and it's fun being curious and you can learn about things. That's the best part of being a writer. That's so cool. So you were, uh, you'd spent some time raising your kids and then you started, you started writing in magazines and uh, things like that. And then you transitioned into writing novels. How did you, how were you able to make that jump between? Well, when I was writing for magazines, and it was kind of fun raising kids because kids are just always great grit for the oyster. There was a way of, I wrote for a lot of magazines were like um, marriage partnership, Christian parenting today, a lot of, you know, things that were part of my life. And when I was doing it, I was able to hone research skills and really develop my nonfiction writing skills. Then as I had this idea of writing a novel, I think now I look back and I really encourage aspiring authors and writers to not box themselves up, to not be thinking, okay, I fit here, I don't fit here, or I fit there, I don't fit here. Because what I found is all those years as a nonfiction writer, research, talking to people, interviews, gathering facts, learning, I, I, there's a way of learning until I find information starts overlapping. And then I know I'm sort of onto something, I've got some a true understanding. All of that went into my fiction writing. Now, the other side of that is that the more I worked in fiction writing, the more I learned how to really jazz writing up and how to give it flavor and color. So in some ways, the two complement each other really well. And that's why I feel like I always want to encourage people to just stay open. You don't know what's coming around the corner. Yeah, that sounds, that, that makes sense. I can see what you're saying, that, that the experiences that you cover just expand your sort of peer group and, and experience group and everything. So then when you actually go to write a novel, you have more to kind of pull off of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so when so you, so what actually got you to sit down, I'm going to write a novel. Okay. That's a great story. <laughs> and it kind of came, we had been living overseas. We were living in Hong Kong for four years and uh -huh. the internet was just really developing. And so I was able to to write magazine articles from Hong Kong and keep those relationships going. And we moved back and my kids were starting to head off to college and my dad was starting to show signs of Alzheimer's disease. 
And there was this time of feeling like, I, I don't know where I'm going with writing. I, I just, it felt very personal. It felt, oh, it was sort of hard with dad. And my niece gave me this book from a college class and it was 1936 or 38 by Brenda Eulin called If You Wanna Write. And there was this phrase in it that just struck me and I'm gonna botch it up, but the basic idea of it was like, everybody has something interesting to say. You know, everybody's like valuable, something and some, has something interesting to say. I don't know what it was, but there was something that just struck me. And I thought, why am I not trying something new to write a novel? I, the only person stopping me is me. So this is a true story. In my laundry room, which is about 10 feet from here, it's just like a little shoebox of a room. I stayed for four months writing, writing, writing. I didn't tell my husband, didn't tell my kids, didn't tell my sister. And at the end of it, I had this idea for sort of a World War II love story. And at the end of it, I had a first draft, which is a very drafty draft, you know, it's not great, but it is done. Told my family at dinner that night that I have written a book. And my youngest son looked up and said, that's why there's no food in this house. And he was right. He was absolutely right. For four months, I really kind of checked out. But yeah. That started it for me and I got sort of hooked into it. Now, that doesn't mean it was easy getting it published. I was turned right. down just about everybody. I ended up with a small royalty press. And looking back, it's so neat to start small. Small beginnings are so good because I learned so much about the business side of writing, which is really an important thing to understand about writing. And, you know, no matter what, there's a market out there and you've got to reach your market. So that kind of opened the door. It's easier to get awards in a little pond. I got some awards that caught an agent. An agent knew of my relationship with my grandfather as a plain man, you know, an Amish background. And then that opened the door to Ravel. So, and now I think it's 40 books later. So it's amazing how, I don't mean to make it sound like a straight line, but it's just like one step at a time, just keep moving forward. Yeah. That's great. That's really cool. Uh, so have you always wanted to write inspirational uh, romance? Well, I think, I, I think I'm not great writing romance. I think it's always a little bit of a struggle, even though every book is a love story. You know, everything right. like To Kill a Mockingbird, virtually every book, war stories, everything is a love story. Um, but as far as writing inspirational, I think I do feel pretty called to that. Like, I really do want to leave people in a better place after reading a book of mine and not just the underbelly of life because we just get enough of that. Yeah, that's true. It's more a uh, woman's fiction, would you say? It's... Yeah, but men read. It's surprising the emails I get from men. Mm -hmm. I love yeah. it. it. Well, that's true even with the Hallmark movies. I mean, we have a lot of male viewers. There really are more than you think. I know a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So would you describe yourself as a pantser or plotter? Total pantser. I just mm. throw in spaghetti on the, the wall. And, kind of, <laughs> and the fun of that, the good side of that is that you are surprised along with the story because things happen and you yeah. learn something new and all of a sudden something opens up that's pretty exciting. The hard part of it is that I think I spend a lot of time throwing spaghetti on the wall and then trying to figure out, oh, okay, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. I have a friend 
who spends, she's an outstanding, highly commercially successful writer. She spends three weeks and all she does is outline. And I mean, she makes it down to the who's speaking, point of view, scene change, on and on. And then she spends three weeks writing. And at the end of it, she has a, a book. And I'm I'm just still so impressed and amazed. Yeah. Now, she is also supporting a family. She has a full-time job. She cannot spend a lot of time throwing spaghetti on the wall. But um, but there's there's different ways to write. Yeah. Well, but you still managed to have over 30 books. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I well. <laughs> <laughs> what does your family think of your books? I think they're pleased. I mean, you know, you're our, it is family. So it's not like anybody's romanticizing the life of a writer and they know I write in a laundry room um but I think I know they're proud of me I they read most of what I write which is neat they love Mm -hmm. you know kids they love like the highlights they they don't really when I've been looking for example I just finished a, a novel and I was looking for one of my kids to do sort of a flyover for the first draft. And they all seem to have disappeared on me on that. So (laughs) your lives are full. I get it. I'm busy, busy. (laughs) Um, So you have written the Amish fiction. You said your grandfather was Amish. He was, he was plain, um, which was sort of a cousin. Plain is like the umbrella word for the, the Anabaptists. So he dressed, he was German Baptist, which is a a, sort of like a branch off the tree of the Anabaptist Mennonites, you know, German Baptists, the Amish actually were the last. Okay. I've never heard of that. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, So do you kind of research the customs then when you write an Amish uh, book or, or how do you know what to write? Well, I think I, I mean, I've dug deeply enough that I have a fair understanding of the culture. Uh Uh-huh always looking past the bonnets and buggies and beards, you know, to what makes them really the way they are. Cause they are, they are just people, but they also are doing a lot, right. Their community is beautiful. They take such good care of each other. You know, their sense of rituals for like when grief happens, they are right there and they have patterns and, and ways of, of managing grief and things like that, that are really impressive. So I always try to kind of find more of the stories that are, are inside of their culture. I, I read their newspapers and I have Amish friends and I have a lot of, quite a lot of German Baptist relatives. So I, but I'm still an outsider looking in. I do right. want to, you know, and, and it is fiction. I'm writing fiction. Right. We'd like to take a second from this episode of the podcast to celebrate our sponsor of this episode. And that is the Hallmarkies Patreon. Do you love Hallmarkies podcast? Do you want an inside scoop into what happens on the podcast? Do you want early access to episodes and loads of cool perks? Now is the time to become a patron of Hallmarkies podcast. By becoming a patron, you get to access our patron Facebook group. You can request episodes or even be a guest on the podcast. And most importantly, any patron can join our monthly movie watch-alongs with stars like Paul Campbell, Natalie Hall, and more. It's as low as $2 a month to join in and become a special part of the Hallmarkies family. Please consider, and we will love you forever. Go to patreon.com slash hallmarkies. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. Uh, you, you think that's sort of the appeal of 
the that whole genre is the is the sort of more quiet peaceful life you make a really good point i think it is definitely part of the appeal and covers our design so that you know you're crossing into another world yeah. into a rural world there's usually horses and buggies and and uh, green and you know yeah. it's you definitely feel this slowing down and kind of a calm and 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 i would say that is genuine i feel so much when i'm back in lancaster or in ohio florida even where there's a little community um in iowa there is sort of a like everything you can't be in a buggy without it slowing down everything just kind of you start noticing more and then you go remember one time getting to the airport after being in the pennsylvania area for a long time and almost feeling shocked at the clothing women were wearing and how revealing it was and you know almost like just two weeks in that culture and I (laughs) you're like back in the real world now (laughs) yeah very very cool well so for the sweet life you you said that it's the first Cape Cod creamery story are so are you going to do more with Dawn and Marnie or are you spinning going to spin it off into different stories well, I love that you even know their names. I think that's so impressive because so many- I read the book. I- <laughs> that's so cool. That is so, so impressive. So Dawn and Marnie are this mother and daughter who are arriving um, through kind of an upheaval in both of their lives. And they end up going on a groomless honeymoon because Dawn's fiance, whom she loved and adored and got close to the wedding, and he just made a decision that- he just didn't love her the way he thought he should, but he told her, go away, go on the honeymoon. And she ends up taking her mom. So they end up on Chatham, which is the corner, the elbow of Cape Cod. And they're both kind of needing time to heal. And they do it in different ways because they are two very different women. You know, we have Marnie is um, in her late fifties. She is the life of a party. She is, has a lot of good taste and style, but she's also maybe not the person you'd want to get her at the airport. You know, she'd forget. Um, Dawn, her daughter is a late 20s CPA. Dawn's favorite slogan is, I love spontaneity as long as it's carefully planned. You know, that's totally, very totally different women. They get to Cape Cod and Dawn hits the beach. Marnie hits the town in, on an impulse. She sees this little rundown ice cream shop that's up for sale. She throws out this low ball offer, never dreaming she'd get it, and she gets it. So you can imagine how her daughter feels about suddenly being an owner of an ice cream shop. That's the kind of premise of the story. You asked about, you know, our book two and three going to carry on, and they will. They're going to carry on. In fact, I just finished book two. Um, and it is set at the Main Street Creamery in Chatham, Cape Cod, but there are new characters coming in because the sweet life does as a, have a happy ending. There is a really lovely wrap up to the story. So we're going to kind of um, open up the door to a few new characters coming through. You'll see a lot of familiar faces. Now, how did you come up with Dawn and Marnie as characters? You know, I thought you were going to ask me why ice cream. <laughs> so, oh, we will. We'll get there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So Dawn, I think what's fun for me is to always flip-flop expectations. So I've got a hippie mother and, you know, wild child mother and this buttoned up young daughter. And to me, that's just the fun of it. Like you just have a complete weight. That's the way that's not where I was going. 
the fiance, for example, he's not a villain. He's really a very good guy. He just felt like he, like things were not going in the right direction for them. And he was right. So I feel like I always want to kind of twist people's expectations slightly. And that's, that's how I ended up with the way the characters kind of played out. Yeah. How do you come up with the names? Don Marnie. So Don I picked because I, Teflon Don. She's just a one of those, you know, buttoned up and planned and nothing matters. And then here, the hardest thing in the world happens to her. You know, her fiance jilts her just weeks before the wedding. So that was kind of where her name came up. Marnie, I don't know where I came up with Marnie because what's funny is every time I kept getting it back from editing, they messed it up. They called her Maria, you know, Marina. (laughs) And I really should have just done like Mary or something like that. But it just, something about it seemed kind of flower childish, you know? Yeah. So do you have experience in Cape Cod? Yeah, I do. I do. My dad was raised there. Okay. I have, um, I've been there quite a lot and I have relatives who live in Chatham. My uncle was a dentist there for years and years and years. I have another dentist uncle up the road a bit. Um, and it's, it means a lot to us. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It is a, you know, it's a destination in the summer and you have a lot of months of the year that it's not that easy to live in. And yet that's when the residents probably love it the best. So the population swells, I think all up to 60 some thousand in summer and then drops down way down in the yeah, if if I were an author, I think I would set all my books at the ocean because then I could have uh, yeah. business trips, yeah. <laughs> research trips. <laughs> oh, I got to go to Hawaii for my book. <laughs> well, you know, what's really funny is my editor, who I love dearly, called and said, hey, we've been thinking we want to have you do a coastal series. And I thought, great, maybe. And she said, pick, go ahead and you pick. And I was thinking, oh, I live on the West Coast. This is finally, I can stay West. I can do something anywhere on the Western seaboard. So I came up with Central Coast, like San Luis Obispo, Cambria, you know, kind of, it hasn't been overdone in books too much. Sent it back. She said, yeah, we chose Maine. You're going to do Maine. So that's my first series for Coastal Series was Maine. And, you know, looking back now, I actually really appreciate that she chose well. I wish she would have told me first because she got me all excited, but I loved Maine. And it is where most of my readers are on the Bible Belt and the East Coast, you know, more than California. Right. And Maine is so accessible. It's like everyone can get there, belongs to everybody. Cape Cod, it's the same thing. Everybody has a piece of Cape Cod. It's part of the legend of the East Coast. That's true. That is true. As opposed to, yeah, something like Hawaii where you have the big flight and everything. Uh, to take that makes sense. It's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Kevin, was he a hard character to write because he dumps her, uh, it, but then he just comes back into the story? So, you can't really have him be just a bad man of business, an unlikable character because he's coming back into the story. Uh, that must have been challenging. Yeah, Kevin is the fiance. He's, um, you know, he was actually kind of fun to work with, to, to not let him be a stereotype, to kind of, he wasn't just a, a, he really anguished stepping out of that wedding. And he cared a lot about her, about Dawn, 
he did not want bad things for her. He wasn't happy that it was over. Um, I, I really appreciated that. I think that was sort of a beautiful part of his character. And it was really Marnie who, once she bought this property, Kevin is an architect. She was the one that was texting, kind of pulling, trying not to get in the middle of them, but, but pulling him in. Like, we need your help. We, I did something here and I don't know what I've done. Because they really have this rundown old building and they have the Chatham Historical Commission on their heels. Um, so that's how Kevin kind of re-enters. First to just try to help, try to be careful, try to make sure Dawn's okay. Is she okay? Is she really, is she okay? I mean, he really wants to know. And then she is doing okay. And I think that's kind of intriguing to him because she's, she's pulling herself together and she's coming out of this in a very impressive way. And this is the fun of the whole story is everybody reemerges as a better better person, better version of themselves. And as Dawn finally gets hooked into her mother's vision of this ice cream shop, um, and she's determined not to let her mother fail and not to let her mother blow all her savings. Because in her mind, if this goes under, my mother's living with me for the rest of my life. So she's yeah, not right. going to let that happen. <laughs> and, you know, and you see Dawn like back in ice cream making, which she used to love to do. And back really trying to be creative that part of her they just got snuffed out through the years of accounting yeah. <laughs> so yeah they're they keep saying that the previous ice cream was terrible and i'm like i don't think i've ever had terrible ice cream like ice cream is i feel like it's one of those it's kind of like pizza to me like sure there's like fancy pizza and like cheap pizza but it's still always pizza and i'll still always like, <laughs> like ice cream's the same <laughs> Well, that's a great segue if you want to talk about ice cream. Yes. So yeah, you must have had a blast coming up with all these ice cream flavors and, and uh, the whole ice cream element. So there is a reason this book is about ice cream and it is all about <laughs> ice cream. So my husband is an ice cream maker. He has been to Penn State Ice Cream School. So that's a real thing? It's a real thing. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> it's a real thing. It happens in January. It's been going on for, I think, 122 years and they, have, and they have it in January for obvious reasons, because ice cream makers have time. They have, I think, a two week or 10 day program for the real business people and all the greats have gone. I mean, huh. and Robbins, Ben and Jerry's, you name it, they have been to Penn State's ice cream school. And then they also have like a four day serious hobbyist where it's like, it is lab coat seriousness. And one year, my husband's always loved ice cream. He started making it and I'd heard about this. So I actually surprised him and my oldest daughter who is a nutrition major and a, has a master's in food safety. I sent them both to ice cream school and I babysat the grandchildren and they came back, the two of them. I mean, as they've, it just ramped up <laughs> the seriousness of ice cream making for them. It is a big deal. My husband's, he's, he's kind of the Don character. He's a serious guy. We call it Steve serious ice cream because it is a double entendre. He takes his ice cream seriously and he's a serious guy, but it's made him so much more fun. Like he has, people are, we, we get invited to more dinners because they're bringing uh, ice cream. He's even had his ice cream auctioned off. Oh in, my gosh. I know. In Yum. a chair. And he, he really works hard at it. So in the book, I put this, and this is a true story. He has worked on vanilla 
his vanilla recipe, which is the purest form. It's the most popular flavor in the world. And it's so pure that it's really hard to mask any errors like you can with chocolate. And he's mm-hmm. made that 59 times until he got it right. Wow. And Ooh, I added, that's uh, I, I wish I had that recipe. <laughs> I have an ice cream maker. I like to, I, I haven't done it for, I need to, uh, I need to get it start, out. yeah, get it out again. And, and I, I kind of put it away, but, uh, but yeah, it is delicious. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't like ice cream and it just, at least even if you're lactose intolerant, you can still have like sorbet and stuff like that. And it just makes everybody happy. It's, yeah. Just they laugh. Kids are having fun with it. Mm-hmm. And- yeah. Well, and I will defend because people are like, oh, vanilla ice cream. That's so boring. I'm like, nope, it's delicious. I, it, I, especially I do love it with like a little bit of hot fudge on top. Oh, mm-hmm. That's my favorite. Yeah. So good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. So we have really done a funny. in the house with, you know, making ice cream. Steve's been my, in fact, he just read something and corrected me the other day on a manuscript, which is great. I want that. And then you know, it, it's a big deal in our house. It's a is. delicious investment. It's kind of, and speaking of pizza again, but my brother got a, uh, for Christmas, I think he got a, um, a really nice, uh, pizza oven. That's I mean. And that was a great investment for the family. Yeah. <laughs> Not only did he get to master becoming a really good pizza maker, um, we all got to benefit from his, his, his mastery. Really brings out you know, yeah. my son-in-law is a bread maker and, and it's the same thing. It's like, it's sort of a shock and awe, you know, mm-hmm. the artesian gifts people have, they work so hard at. They make me hungry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the postable, hardy, or Hallmarky in your life? What about getting that t-shirt or hoodie that will help you stand out at your next holiday party? Now is the time to check out the Hallmarkies merch store. Full of festive designs by artists like Jessica Miller, Carrie from Hallmark Comics, and more. You can even have more than just shirts, but totes, cell phone cases, notebooks, mugs, and more. And it isn't just Hallmark. We have designs for Anna Green Gables, Man from Snowy River, The Nanny, and more. Every purchase at the merch store goes to help support the podcast and allows us to make the great content you know and love. There are frequent sales, so go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies or see the link in the description. That's tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies. So as a mother, did you kind of relate to this whole dynamic between Dawn and Marnie? You know, it's funny. I probably didn't that much. It was really more two characters in my mind that I just had an, an imaginative idea about. I didn't. Mm-hmm you know, I'm sure I'm a little, there's a little part of me in both of them, but I, I don't relate. Marnie and I were closer in age. There was a couple things that were definitely, we were on the same wavelength, but as far as her starting things, stopping, moving on, you know, her artistic ability, her, um, I, her, her, uh, she has no concern about risk. (laughs) Like that's, she and I are very different in that way, but it's kind of fun. I do think mothers and daughters tend to be complicated. You know, it's a, it's a complicated, yeah. wonderful relationship. And <laughs> that was kind of fun because in the story, Dawn and her dad were really the team. They were always connected. And then her dad died and it, she was left with her mom and they weren't on, they didn't re- understand each other. Well, they, 
they're kind people. It wasn't unkind, but it, it wasn't easy for them. Yeah. I wonder why that is. I mean, I think maybe part of it is that we just take our moms for granted because mm-hmm. they are the primary caregiver typically. Uh, whereas the, the dad kind of comes in and out a little bit less. And so it's, he's more, I don't know, privileged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's it. I don't know why, but, uh, but I was just talking with my friend about the fact that my dad would travel quite a bit when I was little and, uh, and because he was at that point self-employed. So he would, and he, he was going all over the country, going to Japan a lot. And my mom, uh, we would have cream tuna over rice, uh, when my dad was gone because, uh, we all loved it and he hated it. <laughs> so it gave us something to kind of look forward to if, uh, if our dad was gone, cause we were sad, you know, when our dad was gone, but, uh, we knew we'd get our, <laughs> we'd get that meal, which just sounds probably disgusting, but it's actually delicious. No, but it's uh, sort of a sweet memory that you associate yeah. with being cared for and making mm-hmm. it and, you know, yeah. I also remember getting Slurpees. That was a special treat. <laughs> yeah. Lips. <laughs> yeah. So I liked that dynamic between, uh, between Dawn and Marnie. Uh, I, I, uh, I kind of hope that in the next one that Dawn gets a real good, uh, romance. I think that would be fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I don't, I liked this. Uh, Cause Dawn was pretty angry. She's pretty resentful. I think at, uh, this whole idea, it's almost like she's offended by the fact that her mom would try this ice cream idea, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, which was interesting. Yeah, threatened almost like really threatened. Threatened. yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. I think she, I think she feels very worried. Her mother's going to ruin all that her dad had provided, you know, to get her through those years. I think she feels just that sense of responsibility that Marnie doesn't. And, um, and she, and she's trying, you know, she's really trying to be helping her mom along and her mom keeps messing stuff up and she does, she, you know, she really does sort of pull a few fast ones. (laughs) (laughs) Well, very good. Congratulations on the book. That's great. Uh, Well, we like to end our interviews with some fun, silly questions. And you will laugh when you hear about the first question. Okay. The first question is, what is the best ice cream flavor? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Okay. What is your favorite color? Periwinkle blue. Okay. What music are you into? Classical, super into classical music. Nice. Okay. What is your go-to date night food? Or lately we've been asking, what's your DoorDash order? (laughs) You know, you'll think I'm so weird, but we, I cook a lot, so we don't tend to go out Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm really love to cook. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. You have your sort of signature dish that you, that, that, or do you just kind of make it all? Well, like I have a Thai peanut salad that would just, mm. you know, like that kind of stuff. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, what is your go-to date night activity? Yeah, I'm about playing tennis. I'm a tennis. Oh, okay, cool. You're good at tennis. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. I'm terrible. <laughs> I have really bad hand-eye coordination, so <laughs> it's not, so that's, I, that's great. Okay. Which do you prefer dogs or cats? Dogs. Okay, good. Uh, what is your favorite beaches or mountains? Beaches. Yeah, Beach. me too. I'm with you. I'm with Hard you. Water. What is your favorite holiday to celebrate? 
you know, Easter is pretty special. Thanksgiving mm. is too. Christmas is a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is a lot of pressure <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's hard to beat Christmas in a way because Christmas is like a whole season, but you're right because it is a whole season. It's a lot. It's a lot. And Easter is always a lot of fun. I mean, because you've got the spiritual element, but then also the fun element, which is yeah. uh, especially with, I mean, all holidays are way more fun with kids. And just spring. There's something about just, mm-hmm. just feels. Yeah. Fair. All right. Last question. What's your favorite Hallmark or romantic movie? Oh my. <laughs> okay. Romantic movie. You'll think this is funny, but it's called Tortilla Soup. Oh, I've heard of that. So fun and so good. And if you like to cook, it's just a great mm-hmm. but it's story about a dad who was, he was a former chef, lost his taste. He has three young daughters that are young adults and he makes these incredible meals and they sit down to eat on Sunday nights. He wants them all home for dinner. No sooner does they sit down to dinner and one of the daughters announce, makes an announcement blows apart the whole meal, <laughs> storms out, someone's upset, but it's a great story. I love the story. Probably I've heard of that, but I've never seen it. So I'm glad you brought that uh, back into my memory. Let me know if you see it. Yeah, I will. I will definitely. Cool. Well, great. Well, congratulations on the book. Uh, we're all excited. We'll have a link in the description. So an affiliate link, if you want to purchase the book, they can check it out, but uh, are you on social media or anything like that that you want to share or your website? Yeah, um, my website is always easy, www.suzannewoodsfisher.com. And I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. And I sometimes I, a couple of days goes by before I'm checking, but I'm checking, I'm getting there. It's just, just has a busy life. Yeah. But very yeah, thankful. You got to be in that laundromat, uh, yeah, laundry room. I do. <laughs> and I really appreciate connecting with people. That's the best part yeah. of this gig. Cool. Yeah, we'll have all that in the description. People should check it out. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Ron Tomatoes. So check that out. And also make sure that you're following the podcast on Homeworkies Pod and Homeworkies Podcast, all of our social media. And if you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. That helps us a lot. And if you are watching YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have our Patreon group and merch store. Check that out. And thank you so much, Suzanne. This was really great. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully talk in your next book. Yep. Hope so too. Thank you. Take care. Bye, everyone.